Well, there's a, a saying I heard a while ago that's attributed to Mark Twain that I love. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And oftentimes we as a people and Christians as a whole ignore our history. Since the pandemic started, I've heard multiple people say, the church has never faced a time like this. And I want to tell them, seriously? <laughs> do, do you want me to make a list of just the pandemics that the church has survived? One of the other things I've heard people say time and time again is that they wish the church was more like it used to be. And I remember teachers at my seminary responding to that by saying, when were things really going well for the church? Was it during the Reformation when the church was facing schism? What about right after it started when Paul was writing epistles to churches telling them exactly what they were doing wrong? There's really never been a time when it was easy to live a Christian life. And you could see an especially dangerous form of this ignorance in some parts of the church today when it comes to scripture. There was one pastor recently who said his church didn't need to read the Old Testament because we have a new covenant through Jesus. Well, he's right that we have that new relationship with Jesus Christ, but he's completely wrong about the first part that because of that new relationship, we don't have to worry about what came before. It's wrong to ignore our history, the history of humanity's relationship with God. And that's because that history informs our current relationship. Looking at today's reading, this parable is one where people could easily do a very cursory reading in that way and not see how it speaks to us today. And that's because this parable has a pretty cut and dry meaning. The owner of the vineyard is God. The tenants are the priests and scribes who have led Israel. The servants the master sends are the prophets. But the tenants, the leaders of Israel, keep roughing up the prophets and not listening to them. So finally, the master, God the Father, sends his son, Jesus Christ. And the tenants will kill the son, hoping they'll get the vineyard for themselves. And it ends with a pretty clear interpretation from Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. So Jesus is telling the Sadducees and the Pharisees that their authority over Israel will be taken away from them. So case closed, right? Jesus gives us a clear interpretation. This is a parable about people in the first century given to people in the first century. It's done, right? I could imagine lots of people taking that interpretation today. The only thing they might draw from this is that God kicked out those other tenants, and now we, the church, are the tenants. Well, as Christians, there's a lot more we can and we need to draw from this. First off, 
what is the vineyard? Well, a vineyard is something that's incredibly prized, especially at this time. Vineyards were so valuable that in the, the first book of Kings, Jezebel has a vineyard owner murdered just so her husband, King Ahab, can take ownership. With some crops, you plant them every season, over and over again. But a vineyard is different. Living near Stockton, I remember hearing a lot about the old vine zins coming out of Lodi. Those were Zinfandel wines that came from older vines, some over 100 years old. Because they can get better with age, uh, the vineyard just keeps incre increasing in value. And in Israel, that's why they get improved over and over. In this parable, we hear about the vineyard having a wine press to make the wine there, uh, a fence to keep out animals and people. It even has a tower that would have been used to house a family, to store crops, to keep an eye out over the vineyard. Lots of things. The, the master here has spared no expense in equipping and providing for this vineyard to grow. And in this parable and elsewhere in scripture, the vineyard is Israel. Isaiah 5-7 says, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And that makes sense if you think about it. God has planted them as a nation. Psalm 80 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It's not just that Israel belongs to God or is dedicated to him. Being the vineyard is also a reminder that they were planted by God. God was instrumental in their beginning in a way that they couldn't have done on their own. And why did God do this? Well, Ezekiel 17 says, it had been planted on good soil by abundant waters that it might produce branches and bear fruit and become a noble wine. Now, for all the enophiles out there, that's not a reference to noble rot. The Hebrew word here translates as splendid or glorious. God loves this vineyard. He wants it to thrive and grow. And a vineyard isn't glorious because it's got these beautiful green leaves or thick vines. It's glorious because of the fruit it produces. God did this not only out of love of Israel, wanting the best for them, but so that they could produce fruit, produce works that benefits others. Now, the curious thing that happens here is at the very end. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. As I mentioned earlier, the Jews always assumed the vineyard is the people of Israel. And they saw that in a more physical or genealogical sense. They were part of that vineyard because of their birth, not because of what they do or what they think, but who they are. Jesus' parable here spins that interpretation on its head. 
in some ways similar to Jesus showing them that their understanding of what a Messiah is, is wrong. Jesus here is saying that the vineyard isn't this literal biological people of Israel. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. The vineyard is the acceptance of the rule of God in people's hearts. Up to this point, the ones on earth accepting that rule were the Jews. The nation and religion were united. The leaders, though, have been straying from the purposes and the will of God. They'll still have the people, but that relationship with God, what truly makes them the kingdom of God, will be given to others, which they've rejected more and more. And it will be given to the Jews and Gentiles who will make up the church. And this is something that so many people need to hear because they completely misunderstand it. And many still conflate the kingdom of God in the sense of God's rule on earth in people's hearts and minds with something else. I've seen a number of St. Columba's drive-by members, people who see this as their church because that's the building their grandparents went to, almost like a country club or a theater, something that they've gone to maybe years and years ago. Well, this building itself isn't the kingdom of God. I've spoken to a lot of other Christians who act like the kingdom of God is something that needs to be established in a more earthly way. It's as if they want to establish a worldly kingdom, the way the Jews had their kingdom. For some of them, that worldly kingdom comes about with a focus on political power, whatever part of the political spectrum they're on. For others, it's all about doing good works turning that kingdom not into a worldly kingdom, but some sort of other worldly organization, like a charity. Not seeking God or power, but seeking only to serve other people. The kingdom isn't one of those things. The kingdom of God is about being under the reign of God, following him and making his will your own. That is the thing that we as Christians need to focus on and cultivate, not only in ourselves, but in each other, supporting each other in this. As the new tenants, that's what God wants us to do. He wants his kingdom to be a glorious vine. And when we look at our faith, our relationship with God, it's not a question of how much have you done for God. It's a question of whether or not you're following his will in your life. Whether you're looking to God for guidance or whether you're just going off on your own, just doing what you assume he would like. That's what got the last tenants in trouble. It's not that those things that I mentioned earlier, the vineyard themselves, many of them are the fruit of the vineyard. The big overarching question is, do we follow the master in bearing that fruit? And is it fruit that we're offering to him? Or is it just something for ourselves? We can definitely work in the world, show our love for our neighbors. But those things all need to be done in faith, in hearing and following God's call in your life, 
in acknowledging the master of the vineyard. So even though Jesus gives us the interpretation of this parable, and even though it's an interpretation that specifically deals with the people of his time, this has a huge bearing on us. This parable points in large part to why we need to know the history of God's relationship with humanity in the first place. The tenants who were there before us fell away from God, not just in that original sense of the fall in Genesis, but the sense that time after time, as God sent messengers to speak to his people, they not only ignored them, they hurt them. Over time, those tenants tried to pull the vineyard farther and farther away from God. They tried to warp it into what they wanted. They turned the people of God that he had established on earth into just another part of the Roman Empire, while those same tenants, the priests and the scribes, jockeyed for wealth and clout. And when God finally sent his son to bring that people back to him, they killed him. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. We, as the broader church, have had many times in our history where people have taken that kingdom and tried to warp it to their own ends, and it never works out for them. If it goes so poorly for the last tenants, why should we think that we could ever do it ourselves, that we could ever get away with the same thing? We've been given something incredibly precious and valuable by God. We've been given a relationship with him, the one who loves us more than we can ever love ourselves. We've been given an understanding of his will for us, an ability to turn to him, to discern his will. It's up to us as a whole to cultivate that, to let it grow and thrive. We need to see it for the blessing it truly is and live into it more and more. Don't be the tenant you want to be. Be the tenant God wants you to be, the tenant that he knows you can be. Amen.